0: Culture Map presents. What's Eric, Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas. Here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Darren Strawn, the president of James Coney Island, coming up in just a little bit. But first, I am joined by my frequent co-host and good friend, local restaurant consultant, Nathan Ketchum. Nathan, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: You know, I'm doing pretty good today. I was labeled a good friend today, so that, that always makes this experience a little better, rather than just, you know, co-host and nothing else.
0: Yes, rather than just merely local restaurant consultant. Yeah. Well, now that, you, now that we know that you're in good standing with me, let's dive into the news of the week. I I really do think that there is sort of one big headline, and it is that Papa Beave is back. Jonathan Jones, the, uh, oh, the, what's original, that? the, uh, the original, the the original, the OG, yeah, the the OG of beavers. Although he was not actually the first, yeah, chef he's all famous. that matters, though. we don't, yeah, need, to, we yeah, don't
1: yeah. need to get into anything before. pre pre Beave pre Papa Beave pre Papa Beave.
0: Certainly, the chef who put beavers on the map. I mean, literally 10 years ago at this point, is back with the company. Uh, but he's not going to be the chef. He's going to be the operating partner. Uh, the owners of the two locations of Beavers have given him an ownership stake. And he has a pretty specific vision for... We
1: we should specify that this is a Jonathan Jones. Uh, JJ, I don't think we said his name yet. No, I thought I said Jonathan Jones. Did I not? Oh, okay. Well, I, I heard Papa Bee, and that's all that uh, stuck with me. So. Oh, okay.
0: Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones of, I, I almost feel like we could do the thing where I name a restaurant and you name a restaurant and we name all the places that he's worked. Uh, Max's Wine Dive, Hotel Zaza,
1: Concepcion,
0: Chuco Chicana,
1: which is was, yeah, just an absolutely fantastic yeah, restaurant. A,
0: a bonkers good, too short-lived Tex-Mex concept, and most recently of Connie Rosso.
1: Yeah. He did a very good job there. A lot of, uh, a lot of fun stuff.
0: Yeah, and and it bums me out a little bit that, that that relationship is not going to continue because I do think that, for whatever reason, Connie Rosso hasn't quite caught on in Houston. It's, it's a phenomenon in Dallas. They have several locations. The Houston locations haven't quite caught on in the same way, and the food that J.J. created for them, I think, was a step towards fixing that. But, alas, uh, that relationship has come to an end. And and really because he's been offered this operating partner position to come back to Beavers, really the restaurant that uh put him on the map locally and, and he really, I mean, more than anything, put put Beavers on the map, as I was saying a minute ago. And he has a specific vision for what he wants that restaurant to be. And it's not what it was ten years ago.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's he's not doing the Max's wine dive beavers menu. Yeah, uh, giant
0: chicken fried steak, lots of you know, fried everything.
1: Which count me among the people who are depressed by that, but hey, time moves on, we'll try new things and I'm sure it'll be delicious.
0: Well, so so this is the argument is that he wants to take a little bit of a global perspective on barbecue, uh, you know, Mexican flavors, Korean flavors, Indian flavors, Middle Eastern flavors, and do his version of those kind of a global smokehouse concept while still kind of keeping its roots in in Gulf coast cuisine and locally sourced ingredients and all that kind of stuff. And JJ's argument essentially to me in the article, I wrote about this for culture map is that the time is right. That if you kind of look around the country, there's international smoke in San Francisco, Michael Mina's restaurant with Aisha Curry that's coming here in July. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Lauro and Austin, this collaboration between Tyson Cole from Uchi and Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue, and even the Ugly Delicious Barbecue episode, which I know some people in Texas had an objection to. Daniel Vaughn wrote a whole polemic about how terrible it was. But this idea that, that barbecue doesn't just have to mean smoked meat, uh, that, that it, it can be extended to a broader definition of live fire cooking and incorporating more of these international influences. That, the, that there's something in the zeitgeist that makes people more open to that and that he thinks he can capture some of that at, at Beavers, particularly the the original Beavers location uh, off of Washington Avenue.
1: And I think that's very cool, and I think uh, he definitely has the ability to do that. The pulled pork that he did for the pop-up, I didn't get to eat it, obviously, but uh, in your write-up, it sounded very good. Can you explain that pulled pork?
0: Yeah, so essentially what he did is is he met Rodney Scott, the very famous South Carolina pit master at Southern smoke. And he learned Rodney Scott's whole pig or whole hog mop recipe. And he took that recipe and he swapped out like lemon juice and sugar and swapped in fish sauce and tamarind. And so you have Vietnamese pulled pork, right? That, that uses some of the, Vietnamese flavors and some, you know, traditional smoking techniques, and it was this like, you know, sweet, savory, very satisfying. And and I'm not a huge pulled pork guy, but it but a, a very satisfying sandwich with uh, some crispy slaw on top.
1: Yeah, and coming from, you know, I I love Peruvian flavors and I understand Peruvian flavors really well. That's something that sounds very Peruvian and Vietnamese. So. That that sounds very good to me. It's, it's something that I think he should really pursue. Um, of course, you know personally, I think I wish he should he would do that and bring back his fried chicken and, and chicken fried steak. But well, you
0: know. yeah, I mean, I I think the real question is, you know, what happens if you have ten customers coming in every day, going, okay, this is cool, but I really want a chicken fried steak, right? And I mean, JJ is a practical man. I I think he will pivot. Uh, he will run some of that stuff, as daily specials, you know, every Thursday is chicken fried steak day or something like that. Um, but, you know, it's a new idea. It's very much a work in progress. They're still staffing up. Beavers is not that that original location is not open for lunch yet. It's only open at night and only with a limited menu. So, you know, they're going to listen to feedback from their customers and kind of see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I do think he's right, though. You know, 2008 and 2018 are completely different dining times. You know, the, the comfort, you know, upscale, comfort, casual dining style is different. People don't necessarily want to go in and, and pay $24 for meatloaf anymore, uh, meatloaf and mashed potatoes. It's, it's not going to happen. But fried chicken, chicken fried steaks, those are things that people still want. They'll never go away. You know, just like steakhouses are popping up every 10 feet in Houston, it will never go away. The The standard bears on our menu are the same thing. You know, you can have a menu in Houston where you have granola and fried chicken on the same menu, and it will do well. So I, I think that's something that, uh, uh, this is not specifically JJ, but that's something that people kind of need to work out, that you you have your, your heart-clogging menu items and your, your uh, healthy menu items on the same menu. Uh, and that's kind of the the new Houston,
0: right? I mean, you know, JJ points out just within a couple of blocks of that location, there's yoga studios and CrossFit gyms and cycle gyms, I guess, whatever you call that, where people just sit on a bike cycle and typing. yeah, uh, pedal real fast. So
1: give up your soul to be fit, right?
0: So there's so there is so there's definitely a population of businesses around there that are that are part of a healthier lifestyle. Uh, and so in theory, there are people who want to, who want to eat that way. But then again, maybe those people are working out so they can eat real bad.
1: That is definitely part of it. I've seen plenty of people in yoga pants scarf down chicken fried steak and, and fried chicken.
0: Or whole beef ribs at barbecue joints. i yeah. never quite understood that.
1: Yeah. But barbecue's kind of its own separate beast. I've seen lots of skinny people eat barbecue. Right. So, and I mean,
0: and so that's the other thing, right? Arash Karat, the executive chef for Beavers, is doing pretty traditional central texas style barbecue at the westheimer location but if you think about where that original location is you know pinkertons is basically a straight shot down Houston Avenue truth barbecue is coming to Washington Avenue at some point this year you know i don't i don't necessarily i mean they don't necessarily want to try to serve traditional texas barbecue in the midst of so much other traditional Texas barbecue, and I don't, I don't blame them for not wanting to get into that game.
1: So, if Arash was ever unleashed by whatever chains bind him, would he go? Would he keep doing traditional barbecue, or would he do a little bit more fusion or, or wild child barbecue?
0: I, so, I, that's one of the things he said that he's excited about. JJ being hired because he wants to get funky fresh. Those are his words, not mine with the menu at Beavers Westheimer and that he thinks JJ will be an advocate for him with owners in terms of being able to put some stuff on the menu. That's a little bit different. And so from that perspective, I think if Arash went on his own, he would do some different stuff. And also I'm excited about the collaboration of the two of them because I've always enjoyed both of their cooking and I feel like the collaboration will produce interesting new dishes.
1: Yeah, hopefully that um, kind of partnership thing can hold on. It's always weird when you have someone as talented as J.J. come in in an operations role because I know they'll tend to want to be very vocal about food and you have a chef as talented as Arash who, who's going to want to to be in charge of their own food. So hopefully that works out and and we do get a chance to see the funky, fresh food that The Arash, new school jams, is, yeah. as J.J. calls them. That, uh, that they both put together. That would be a lot of fun. All right.
0: Let us move on. Uh, speaking of healthy eating, Fox Restaurant Concepts, that's the company behind North Italia Truef- and True Food Kitchen, uh, is bringing their new healthy eating concept, uh, Flower Child, to Uptown Park. I didn't realize this, but apparently Fox has sold most of the ownership of True Food Kitchen to the people who own P.F. Chang's.
1: I w- was just about to say.
0: Okay, well, so I didn't realize that until last week. Uh, Flower Child then kind of takes the healthy eating thing, adds more vegan and vegetarian dishes, and is fast casual to make it sort of more accessible and affordable than True Food Kitchen. Uh, this is part of a comprehensive renovation at Uptown Park, which is home to Etoile, uh, The Tasting Room, McCormick & Schmick's, uh what else the uh
1: other uh, random stuff in there other I, random stuff in I there I don't spend a lot of time at uptown park i I don't know there's a sushi place in there right
0: uh yes, there's uptown sushi and there's a, a fast casual like pizza pasta burgers place that cafe express uh if i cafe just marinate on it long enough it you're will. right anyway, so there's a lot of dining options in uptown park already, but obviously. Flower Child will be something different. And what I have discovered is people in Austin and Dallas, where Flower Child already exists, really love this place. So not probably going to be my personal thing, but I am intrigued anyway.
1: Very healthy. I don't think they have the fried chicken on the menu, but uh, they do have meats. They do have uh, lots of salads. I believe my wife would love it. Uh,
0: Yes, lots of bowls, things in bowls.
1: Yeah. Um, they do have a steak option, at least guys. Give them a try. Yeah, I, I mean, but but again,
0: you know, Uptown Park, you know, a lot of office workers, a lot of people looking for a healthy option, a lot of people, and and you know, True Food Kitchen has always been busy. Uh, when I've been in that area, sort of peaked in the dining room. So
1: yeah, True Food Kitchen is one of those concepts that just blew it out of the water. You know, that paleo concept. They just opened a second Houston version in the Woodlands. Uh, It's it's massive. Um, With the, you know, Flower Child, it's not... I don't know. Is is it specifically paleo?
0: No, it's just sort of healthy. But but like I said, there's a focus on kind of vegan and vegetarian options.
1: Yeah, one thing you do see pretty often if you look through the reviews of both True Foods and and, uh, Flower Child are people that were like, I was drugged here. I didn't expect to find anything on the menu I liked. You know, I, I ordered something and it was fantastic. I'll come here again.
0: Yeah, and my colleague Brandon Watson at Culture Map Austin wrote basically a full-length review of Flower Child kind of detailing his experience with the restaurant and that he enjoyed it a lot more than he thought he was going to.
1: Yeah, so uh, don't don't be afraid to try it. I guess I will attempt it at one point. Oh yeah, you're getting
0: dragged there for sure.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, and then finally I do we'll, we'll o- take Michael for a good healthy meal.
0: Yes. Our our producer Michael who never who uh is the hidden hidden component of this particular podcast. Uh yes, we'll we'll buy Michael lunch. Avocado toast for everybody.
1: Yes. Some some yogurt salad.
0: All right, and then our our third item this week uh Bernie's Burger Bus ran a little bit afoul of the Department of Labor. They had uh, not been accounting their employees' hours correctly and did not pay overtime when the government said that they were required to. They reached a $62,000 settlement, uh, of which they have paid back about $49,000 to these uh, 49 employees who the government identified as being uh, improperly compensated. Uh, Nathan, let me just ask you, from your experience running businesses, it seems like it is fairly easy for multi-unit operators to run afoul of these wage regulations. Uh, is is that is that a correct impression on my part, or, or should Justin have known, should Justin Turner, the owner of Bernie's Burger Bus, have known better before he made this mistake?
1: So... What I will say is that um, you know you wrote an article kind of detailing uh, Justin's version of the event, saying like, "Hey guys, um, it's it was a mistake. I'm owning up to it. It was a, a screw up when we opened a second second concept. We uh, we screwed up our accounting. We didn't do it maliciously." Uh, I will say that his his uh, his statement definitely passes the smell test. Um, i wouldn't say it's easy to screw this up uh, or that or that it's it's super common but when you when you open a second concept a lot of people just continue you know to do the the payroll exactly the same as they did the first restaurant so if you have you know your employees they work you know 30 hours for that one restaurant you pay them 30 hours if you have employees that go to the other restaurant they're working at both uh, they clock in separately at that other restaurant. You know, they they work twenty five hours at that restaurant, and and mostly these are kitchen guys. Um, right,
0: they're they're morning prep at one location, and then they're on the line for dinner at the other one or whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, but you know, depending, it could be all over the place. Um, they clock in, and then a lot of times you you just send the numbers to a, you know a different an accountant or or a payroll or. A lot of times a family member does your, your payroll for you, or I don't know who did Justin's what. Uh, but if you don't hire a restaurant-specific company, a lot of times they won't know what's going on. Um, So they pay – they send the employee two separate checks, one for 30 hours and one for 25 hours because the the payroll company will get two separate printouts, one that says they work 30 hours and one that says they work 25 hours. Um, He, he should have known better for sure. Um, only, only because he should have read the rules. Um, but you know, it, it it's a mistake that is made fairly often. Um, the the only kind of little fly in the oil is it is a surprise in that uh, situation. One that it got to sixty two thousand dollars worth of uh, issues before someone complained, and two that. Um, they didn't go straight to to Justin and complain to him first. Normally, in that issue, you know, it happens for four or five months, and then somebody's like, "Hey, man, I'm being screwed," and they go to to just you know they go to the owner, and the owner fixes it. Um, in this instance, it sounds like you know they went to the um, Texas Workforce Commission before they went to Justin. Hopefully, that was the case at least. Um, yeah. So what Justin said
0: is that when he hired his operations director, Ben Miller who had experience with corporate restaurants and multi-unit that Ben realized within 2 weeks of his hire date that that not paying employees overtime if they worked more than 40 hours at, at across a couple of locations um was not in compliance with the law so so they fixed it and then they and so from from that point forward they were following the law but they I guess they were audited by the department of labor in December and they, you know, fessed up, I guess when, when can, when caught. Um, and so now they're making restitution.
1: Yeah. So at that point they should have gone back and paid, uh, any of the previous employees that they, that they knew got, um, you know, didn't get paid fully in the first place. Um, but you know, it's that's a tough thing to do anyways. You don't have the money at the time or something along those lines.
0: Right. I guess one of the things he said that, that the reason that it's it's they've paid forty nine thousand to sixty two thousand. Yeah, you have to find all the employees. Right. They're still they're still hunting down addresses
1: for some yeah. of these people. That, and a lot of times, I mean, these guys disappear. Uh that that completely makes sense. Um you know, obviously somebody called uh T W C on them or or, or whoever um right. they called. Uh, but you know, I, I've, I've chatted with, with Justin, uh, I had dinner with him one night and he, he was definitely seems like the type of guy who cares about his employees a lot. So, uh, you know, he opened a a food truck first, then one restaurant and then a second restaurant. Um, so it's, it's a mistake that can be made when you go from working with just you, then a couple employees and then a whole lot of employees, you know, it gets overwhelming. You, you don't know, you know, you don't have the experience. I don't think he was ever like a general manager or anything like that. No,
0: I mean, he was a, I mean, he was Shane Battier's private chef before he launched Bernie's burger bus as a food truck. And so, and and he certainly worked in restaurants before, but never in a, I don't think in a managerial capacity.
1: Yeah. He never paid payroll or anything like that. So it definitely wasn't something he learned. Uh, I definitely give him the benefit of the doubt just because I've had conversations with him and he, from the uh way that he talked about growing his business everything was uh, framed around how he could grow it in a way that was both the uh, you know way that he could be successful and very respectful to his employees um so yeah but uh, hey guys pay uh, pay overtime yeah pay. don't 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 do this man it it's um it's not worth uh, getting caught later
0: yeah and and now Bernie's burger bus didn't have to pay a fine but
1: yeah, the fact that they didn't have to pay a fine really makes me think that um, they they weren't malicious about it and that they definitely didn't try to hide it from um, the uh, investigators because uh, they, can, they, they can be pretty mean with their fines.
0: Yeah, apparently they can charge you something like double what you owe. Yeah. So, anyway, so... Plus you know, interest, I think. Right. So, you know, good for Bernie's Burger Bus for getting this cleaned up. Hopefully, it serves as something of a warning to other operators out there. And then, uh, I think we will have better, more interest, better, uh, better news from Justin Turner soon.
1: Yes, I think we will.
0: All right, that does it for the news of the week. Uh, we will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Nathan, for our restaurants of the week, I do want to talk about a couple of places that we visited recently, starting with Gus's world famous fried chicken. Gus's comes to Houston via Memphis, where it is a bona fide cultural phenomenon. We went on Friday or excuse me, we went on a Saturday night and it was clear that they had had a very long day just from our, our server. It it does seem like Houstonians are very excited about Gus's. Uh, let me just throw it to you. What did you think? Because you're a you're a big fried chicken fan.
1: Yeah, I love fried chicken. Uh yeah, you you're not kidding. We asked our server how he was and he, he looked like he wanted to plead for help. He uh he just looked tired. Yeah. He he didn't say good. He just said, Man, you know, can I take a nap at your table? You know, can you make everyone leave? I don't know, it was ridiculous. What do you say? They ran out of fried chicken on Tuesday. They had run out of fried chicken one day earlier that week. Yeah, it was just absolutely crazy. We we managed to get in and and some sort of a lull that we didn't realize we had got in.
0: Yeah, but then we left at like 9 or 9.30 and there was a line out the
1: door. Yeah, it was insane Uh, because we we got a table, you know, after waiting like just a couple minutes. Uh, The fried chicken was very good. Uh, I've heard a couple people say it doesn't have the crisp. I, I think they're insane the The crisp on the skin was fantastic, uh, very thin, uh, almost like a rice flour type. I'm not sure what they actually use, but um.
0: yeah. So the the exactly the the secret of the batter is is very closely kept. Apparently, there's only a few people in the company who know it. But it is a, it. I found it to be thin, crispy, spicy, not overwhelmingly spicy. We should we should draw the distinction that. Gus's is from Memphis, not Nashville. Nashville has its own Nashville hot chicken is its own
1: thing. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not dipped in the spicy oil like the like the Nashville hot. It's just uh, the whatever uh, batter they use is, has a lot of uh, cayenne or whatever in it. Um, it was it was good. It was very crispy, very thin, um, very flaky. The chicken was nice and moist. I am a firm believer that Popeyes is the best fried chicken. Popeyes spicy. Whenever it's good, you know there's some you can get some bad Popeyes out there. But when you get good Popeyes fried chicken, that is the best fried chicken. But I gotta say, this was it's pretty close. This, yeah, this might give it a run from its money if it didn't have a thirty minute wait every day. Maybe, maybe maybe I'd call it. But uh, you know, Popeyes has a drive through, so
0: right. So a thinner batter than a place like Popeyes or Frenchie's or Lee's Fried Chicken. Uh, a different. Kind of spicy. I don't know that it's spicier or less spicy than Frenchies. It's just a different flavor in terms of its spiciness.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a different type of spicy. It's it's like a a whole mouth spicy that goes away very quickly. You don't even need to take a, a sip of water or anything. It's it's gone very quickly. Um, I you know it, it's even it's a type of spicy that's okay for kids. Uh, you know, depending on your kid, obviously, but. If your kid can eat queso, he can eat the chicken.
0: Yeah, and then the the one thing I would say, the only downside is that the sides are just kind of there.
1: Yeah, they, they were not that good. The the fried okra I was excited about. I love fried okra. I think if it had been hot and fresh, it would have been good. But they were getting their butts kicked so bad back there. Our okra was a little, little cold, a little stale. Um,
0: yeah, the mac and cheese was just kind of whatever. Not super creamy, not...
1: Yeah, it, w- it was just there. There was nothing exciting about that mac and cheese.
0: And I, I, I will say, I liked my fried pickle spears. I thought they were nicely done with a good batter. But uh, I don't know that whether or not there are fried pickles is going to be a buying decision for most people. But the the point is, the chicken is very good.
1: Yeah, if we if we weren't going to go eat tacos directly after eating the fried chicken, I would have ordered another round of fried chicken. Yeah, it was that good.
0: Yeah, twelve ninety five for a half chicken, four pieces uh with two sides seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh we went to Pappas Delta Blues Smokehouse a few weeks ago. I had the fried chicken there. Um you know, it's obviously a fancier restaurant and but you know, their chicken with two sides is like 20 something bucks.
1: Still four pieces, right? Yeah. Four pieces but two very good sides there. Right. And their chicken is also very good. Yes. Well, what would you rate their chicken on a on a scale of 10?
0: I would rate the Delta Blues chicken as like an 8, maybe even an 8.5.
1: Yeah, what about what about Gus's?
0: I really liked Gus's. I'd put it up there, too. Uh, obviously, a different style.
1: Yeah, two completely different styles.
0: But uh, definitely a chicken that I would eat, again, probably probably right in that 8, 9 kind of
1: range. Yeah. Both of them very good. The, we got two, uh, obviously, Papa's, Papa's Delta's, Blues. Jeez, I can't say that one uh it is uh, a little further away a little out in the uh what I'd call the boonies what a lot of people call their home yes um but it's very good it's worth going both for barbecue barbecue is very good and um man their uh their fried chicken is it's fried chicken and their hamburgers are very good it's a good restaurant
0: yeah and their barbecue is pretty good all right and then uh from Gus's fried chicken we went to Cantina Barba this is the new restaurant from Taqueria Barba the popular food truck that occupies a, a regular location next to Catalina Coffee on Washington Avenue and also operates the kitchen at Grand Prize, the Montrose, the very popular Montrose Bar. Uh, we had a, a chicken taco, a beef taco, and a smoked pork taco, and we also had chips and queso. I'm going to say a uh, little bit of a mixed bag, but the smoked pork taco has always been a standout at for Taqueria Barba. And that is true, I think, also for Cantina Barba.
1: Yeah, I think they should just smoke everything. Um, the uh, I will say there's, there's a lot of possibilities there in terms of their tacos. One, their tacos are real traditional, or not real traditional, but more traditional than a lot of places in town. Just uh, cilantro, onions, and, and the meat, and a pretty decent tortilla, uh, white corn tortilla. The... Smoked pork tortilla or smoked pork taco was awesome. And their tacos are $2.50 a piece, which gives them a, an extra few bonus points. The carne asada and the chicken taco were both cooked ahead of time, so they were dry. But I don't think the flavors were bad. If they had not been dry, I think they would have been pretty good.
0: You know, the other thing about Cantina Barba is it kind of reminds me of the Rice Box location in the Heights it's got a pretty small footprint, limited interior seating, a decent sized patio. And then like a pretty smart little beverage program that, that, uh, orange pineapple slushy was really tasty. Uh, they're building up a a nice selection of tequila and mezcal. It feels like kind of a neighborhood hangout. I expect that it will be open late. Uh, and that location on North main kind of right across the street from that, uh, that Shipley's. it's been there forever. Uh, you know, if you're going to a concert at White Oak Music Hall uh, and you want tacos after a concert, I think Cantina Barba is going to be a perfect spot for that.
1: Yeah, you had a, what was it, an orange pineapple slushy? I did. With a shot of tequila added to it for $7. That is a fantastic price.
0: Yeah, $7 total, including the tequila.
1: Yeah, the entire thing was $7. Yeah.
0: So doesn't, I mean, from a value standpoint, I think Cantina Barba is off to a, a very strong start. And the food just needs just like a little bit of tweaking to be up to the level, frankly, of just what they're already doing at Grand Prize.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the slushy and tequila alone makes it a good place to hang out for the Houston summers.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: and then briefly,
0: we both attended the international smoke pop-up that celebrity chef Michael Mina held at Hugo's on Sunday. We got to taste a few of their dishes. Um, did you have a favorite bite? from the International
1: Smoke Pop-Up? The uh, Pork Belly bow. Yeah,
0: a good twist on the David Chang classic.
1: Yeah. Um, it could have been a little more rendered and crispy, but I think they were trying to push through that line. There's a lot of people waiting there for it. There were a lot of people waiting for it Then it started bao. to rain, so, you know. Yeah, um, and,
0: and then the, uh, the Grilled Snapper with the fried rice, I, I really like that, too.
1: Yeah, I didn't get a chance to try that one. The line got a little crazy, so That's my cool. wife loved it though. So uh, I will trust her opinion.
0: So just so international smoke is going to open in July in City Center. Are you having gotten to try a couple of the dishes? Are you more excited about it or less excited
1: about it? I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and just judging from the the one turnout and two, you know how how much people were talking about it uh, yesterday at the event. I think the people are really excited about it. I think they're going to be very busy when they first open. It's definitely going to be a, a lot of a lot of social media buzz when they first open. I think uh, it's going to be a pretty big success right off the bat. Whether or not the food matches up, I think it will in the beginning. Obviously, is a really, really good chef. Um, so as long as he's there in the beginning to make sure the food's uh, off to the start. Yeah, and he hired
0: E.J. Miller to be the executive chef of... International Smoke here in Houston. EJ is a Culture Map Tastemaker Award nominee. He uh, he was at Riel when Riel opened. He was at he was in the Clark Group organization for a while at COPA and at Salter Seafood Kitchen. He worked for Treadsack for a little bit at Hunky Dory and Bernadine's and then was the executive chef at, at Downhouse. So someone uh, from a culinary perspective with a good resume who's very passionate about smoked ingredients and and... Kind of creative cooking and and you know someone who's been kind of working for an opportunity like this for a long time, so I'm excited for e j and I am definitely more excited about international smoke than I was and if you haven't seen it, I will have an interview with Michael Mina on culture map, and we'll get a little more insight from him into kind of the whys and the wherefores of international smoke
1: yeah, I really hope that they really put an emphasis on seafood and, and smoked fish and things like that. Smoked oysters, smoked, um, uh, every, everything having to do with seafood. That's something we are kind of missing in Houston and something that I think we could have a, a really cool kind of twist on, uh, Houston with the Gulf seafood and things like that. They take really, they take on smoke really well and it's something that is not really being done, um, all in one restaurant here in Houston. I think, could be done really cool.
0: Right. We do a lot of char grilled oysters that get a little smoke, but but maybe not so much beyond that. And and yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a that's a way that international smoke could really distinguish itself. All right. That does it for our restaurants of the week. Nathan, thank you very much. People can follow you on Twitter and Instagram at H Town Food Junkie. Uh at least uh mostly Twitter, not so much Instagram, but uh
1: there's one or two photos up there
0: every now and then i will be right back with darren strawn from james Coney island you're listening to what's eric eating our interview this week is brought to you by eighth wonder brewery one of my favorite local breweries conveniently located in east downtown it's been really fun to watch 8th Wonder evolve from its sort of humble beginnings in a little corner of a warehouse to now a gigantic warehouse the huge backyard that they call Wonderworld, where you can go before sports games especially with uh, soccer season and baseball season heating up. 8th Wonder's brewery is conveniently located uh, within walking distance. You might see my colleague Fred Fower walking around there. I know it's a favorite spot of his and there's always something new to try at 8th Wonder, like they just released their Procrastinator Session IPA, the official beer of doing nothing. They're going to have their hip-hop series rolling out here in the next little bit. And, you know, you can always count on an 8th Wonder beer to be refreshing, delicious, and fresh because it's made right here locally all the time. So thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Darren Strawn, the president of JCI Grill. Uh, I think a lot of us are still calling it James Coney Island, but uh, Darren, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, I always like to start at the beginning uh, with these interviews. So so how did you become involved in the restaurant business?
2: Well, I, my first job in high school was at a restaurant not far from my where I went to high school and uh, fell in love with all the aspects of pleasing the customers that came in. And so decided that I was going to go to college, get a business degree. And when I got out of college, I was going to go in the restaurant business. I started uh, in the accounting field. Uh, I thought I needed to learn the numbers because I enjoyed the operations so much and uh, the numbers just kind of bored me, but I needed to get a weakness taken care of. So I got an accounting degree and went to work for Arthur Anderson out of college. And I was in the hospitality side and I audited, did financial audits of hotels and restaurants. Then I worked my way into operations with a restaurant chain.
0: So was that here in Houston?
2: It was. uh, Worked for Arthur Anderson here in Houston. I went to work for one of my clients, which was a very successful steakhouse in the 70s and early 80s called Texas Tumbleweed Restaurant. So I went to work for them. I I like that,
0: you know, restaurants are are notoriously uh, a difficult business to get into, I like that you got a a close-up look at all the numbers and still decided to stay in the business.
2: Isn't that the truth? That kind of says a little bit about my ability to understand return on investment. (laughs) So when did you sign on to JCI? I got involved with James Cooney Allen in 1993. Uh, Unfortunately, the family had taken the the business into bankruptcy in 89, 90. And uh, I put together a group to try to put a plan to buy the company out of bankruptcy Um, But the group that ended up buying it was a little stronger. They were all big Houston uh, businessmen. And I got to know one of them very well. And I shared him what I was going to do with the chain. And three years later, they actually uh, came to me and hired me then. And I've been with them now 25 years.
0: So how has James Coney Island changed in 25 years? Because, you know, dining trends sort of come and go, but you have to balance this... uh... You know, I mean, this is this is a restaurant that's been around for over seventy five years. So, people have strong memories of growing up with JCI. Um, what's that like?
2: It's first of all, it's mostly wonderful, absolutely wonderful. We we turned ninety five years old this year. It's very on the other side from business side, it's very difficult to keep a ninety five year old retail operation relevant especially in today's changing times and as quickly as a china time. You know, trends used to be uh, a fad was a year to three years and a trend was 10. Now it's more like a trend is three years. And with, with how things have changed so fast to keep a 95-year-old Brown relevant is all we try to do every day.
0: Well, and I, and I looking back sort of through my notes over the last, even the five years that, that I've been sort of working with y'all, You've done chef pop-ups. You've had consultants come in. You worked with Matt Marcus for a little bit. You worked with, with Alvin Schultz. Uh, I mean, you even you even did a contest where you let me create a hot dog.
2: That's right. <laughs> we did. It was, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We really enjoyed that. We enjoyed that. We enjoyed our chef and show dogs that we did, all the way from Monica Pope and Randy Evans and John Sheely and yeah, Matt you let, Marcus.
0: Right, you let uh, Horisan put uh, That's bonito right. flakes on a hot That's dog. That's correct,
2: yeah. Well, We've been known for our classic conies, and the coney is actually a Greek style hot dog. And it's, you know, they started selling it in Walker Street in 1923. I've got pictures of the menu from the early 20s, 30s, and 40s, 50s, 60s. And they had a variety of sandwiches all over that menu. They had a goose liver and Rogerford cheese sandwich on the menu. Um, of all the years that I've been with Coney Island and all the people that would come and tell me their memories of Walker Street, nobody's ever told me they got a. Goose liver and Rover cheese sandwich or a ham and cheese sandwich. All they talk about is the conies. Yet it had a very expansive menu, but the only thing anybody ever ordered was a coney or a bowl of chili. I don't even think Frito pies, of course, they weren't invented until around the 50s, uh, made it on the menu till then. So they've been open for 30 years before a Frito pie made it to the menu.
0: Well, and that's one of the things I was wondering about because it seems like you guys are always introducing new menu items. Um, but really, it, I mean, most people just come for a chili cheese coney dog,
2: right? Absolutely, it's our number one seller, always will, and always will be. It's our Shipley glazed donut. It's the reason when you think about going to James Coney Island or JCI as we call it, because that's really our nickname. We've called ourselves JCI forever. Used to be, you'd walk down the hall and say, "Hey, Eric, you want to go get a JCI today?" We happen to throw a grill at the end of it to let people know that we do have a little wider variety of menu items than just our classic or legacy items, which are still on the menu and always will be.
0: Um. But so, so, for example, you, you just introduced
2: a Euro dog. Um,
0: I mean, I, that's an interesting idea because it kind of pays homage to your Greek history, I
2: guess. And we're trying to do, you know, first of all, I love Greek history and love Greek food. Uh, it's hard. You really got to look up the history of a Coney and being a Greek dog. It's a lot of fun. Smith has got a great article on it. But we, we ran out, uh, rolled out about six years ago, a Greek salad that is, done very well for us and it's very delicious and it tastes great and we thought I've always wanted to do a gyro on our menu but we decided to put it together with a hot dog and it's it's real tasty. Uh, The reason we've rolled out a variety of different items is just to improve uh, the ability to have frequency of our customers come to the restaurant because the Coney was a low frequency item and over the years we've lost where it's the aging population or changing trends that not as many people are coming in on a regular basis to eat conies, and so we needed to have another reason why you might come instead of once a week, maybe twice a week, uh, because of the the variety of the menu.
0: And and how's that going? I mean, are you are you seeing a response from customers who are ordering we're seeing, these other items?
2: Yes, we're seeing a significant increase in um, the orders of other than the legacy menu items. Our salads, our burgers, and our sandwich lines have really picked up tremendously. The LTO, which is a limited-time offer, is a thing that we try to do four times a year or once a quarter, and that would be where the Greek gyro dog falls in. It's it's introduced to create some variety and some fun and some freshness to our menu. And if it actually becomes a hero, which some of the items have, it makes it on the menu. Our last one was our sliders that we do with the Nolan Ryan Beef hamburgers on King's Hawaiian rolls. They have been selling. It was a limited-time offer that made it to the menu.
0: So, yeah, you talked a little bit about the decision to convert from – James Coney Island to to JCI Grill. I mean, obviously, KFC did that very successfully. Other restaurants have done that. Um, Are you satisfied with how that's going, or or do customers still come in and just call it James Coney Island?
2: Well, we want them to always be able to call it James Coney Island. And, yes, Eric, I was around when KFC changed it from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC, and it was a a huge news. Very controversial. Very controversial for years but you probably can't find anybody under the age of 40 that would even remember that. Um, unfortunately, I can remember it well. But uh, uh, See, that, oh, that's
0: it. See, I just turned 40. So that okay, is.
2: that's probably what it is. And so it's known, Yeah, you know, it's KFC today to just about everybody else, but it was a, it was a big deal. We, we were running into the issue that we had been around so long and that we had a low frequency of just coming in and eating the conies. Our customers would actually, when we actually talked to them, it's how many times do you come in a year? It comes down to like 10 times. And 10 times in this very expensive business environment to keep our restaurants open, we have to have more frequency of our customers coming in. And we asked them, could we get you to eat more conies? No, I just can't eat the hot dogs as much as maybe I used to. And then two is it never was a very uh, item for dining at nighttime, evening. Uh, The coney was always big at lunch. And yet we needed to have our restaurant restaurants a little busier at the evening time. So we came up with menu items that would do that. And with that, we just refreshed our brand to reflect that.
0: And then do you ever get any confusion from people who who associate Coney Island with with New York and wonder if there's locations in other cities cuz this is a we should say this is a Houston original. And very proudly so.
2: Yeah, it really is. And again, um when the Greeks immigrated here in the early 1900s, they wanted to be Americans. They were glad to be here. They saw Coney Island, New York, and hot dogs had just made it on the Coney Island of New York in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The Greeks had a sauce that uh, they were putting on various items. And really, there's like 300 Coney Island-style restaurants in Michigan. For some reason, they ended up in Michigan. And all the people that come to my restaurants from Michigan go, yeah, we know what this is. It's a Coney Island. We've got them all over. The Greeks opened up their, their menus with their Mediterranean food, but they added a hot dog on it with their Coney sauce. And it's not a chili sauce, it's a coney sauce. Uh, we have some confusion with people that come in, and I've even had food writers who, from out of town, eat our coney and say, the chili's too runny for a chili dog. Yet they didn't do the research to know that it's actually a coney. We have a Texas chili dog on the menu that is made with our chili with our chunks of inside round beef, versus the coney sauce is a whole different animal.
0: And then what a. What are some of the, the dishes you're most proud of that you've introduced to the menu? What What's become kind of your go-to when you're not having a chili cheese cone?
2: Well, it's hard not to have a chili cheese cone. That's correct. But the sliders have been really, really big for me. I've enjoyed those. The Greek salad is fantastic. Uh, and I I'll, I'll have to go to our cheeseburger. I love our cheeseburger. It's one of the greatest classic cheeseburgers in town. And we do get a lot of accolades from our customers on our cheeseburger.
0: And then... I mean, we've seen so many, you know, burger concepts come into Houston. Um, not so much hot dogs. Do you do you take any inspiration from some of the competition? I mean, are you do you stay sort of cognizant of what, say, a restaurant like Shake Shack is
2: doing? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things I've enjoyed about this business is that all of my I'm constantly out looking at different restaurants and eating, and I love to see somebody get real successful. Um, I do scratch my head at some concepts where I go, I can't believe that they're doing it, but I am a firm believer in that there's a lot of different tastes in people. And if you can reach that niche and do be successful at it, then all the power to you, the shake shacks, the hop dotties fantastic. I love their food. I love their items. And as a matter of fact, shake shack is what the Martin potato bun is. One of their, their big deals for their hamburger bun. And our, this Greek Euro dog that we're using has a Martin's we're using a Martin's potato hot dog bun. Which is also what's used on all of our classic hot dogs. It's the same bun. So, I go around and look at it, look at some different products and menu items, and I've probably never come up with an original idea on my own. I've always just seen ideas from other people and just kind of put my own spin on it.
0: One of the things about Houston is that it just it seems to be growing all the time, and, and new people are moving here. You know, for people who haven't been, didn't grow up in Houston and haven't been eating there for a couple of generations, how do you introduce yourself to them? How do you get their attention?
2: Well, I try to point out the fact of our uniqueness uh, with our Greek-style coney and that the fact that, we, that, that we've that we just been an institution here and it's been part of the Houston landscape for years. And I just think our Greek-style coney is awesome. I mean, we hand, we hand-cut the buns. We don't cut the ends out, so we make a little boat to hold all the items in. And we steam the buns. We've got huge, big, just specially made steamers for us that – we have to have a real safety issue because they're so hot they'll burn your arms when you're working with them so we steam those buns and we assemble that product right as you order it and it's just hot fresh and just it's i just can't describe how good it is
0: (laughs) um and what do you think is next for for jci i mean do you do you aspire to additional locations or you uh are you on the are you on the hunt
2: well we're yes we are we're uh We've been remodeling our restaurants. Uh, we thought we got a little outdated with our decor, our lighting, our interior. So we've been doing a lot of things to bring us more up to date with the feel and the ambience of the place. If you can say ambience in a hot dog restaurant, but just where it's not so commercial looking. Uh, we don't want to look like a chain. We want to look local. Um, we're still, we're always working on the menu. We've introduced craft beers on, on draft in most of our locations. Uh, Some we don't just simply because we didn't have the room for the the kegerators, et cetera. But we do have beer in most locations. If we move forward, we're probably going to, of course, keep the Coney and the legacy items. Uh, But we would probably work on making our atmospheres a little more attracted to uh, the 40 and younger crowd who love to go out and sit at the bar and drink beer for three hours and watch sports and, and just do their entertainment like that. And that's something that's going on. We'd like to tap into that.
0: Have you looked at these food halls as a possibility for you? Do you see that as a fit?
2: Absolutely, I think a food food hall would be great for for our concept. Uh, you know, in the right location, the right setup. But looking forward to that, and we're looking into that.
0: Um, and then I guess I guess you talk about interior design. I mean, you know, certainly Instagram's got to play a role, right? Like you got to have a you got to have the lighting for people to take the pictures. You got to plate the food in a way that makes it look appetizing. I mean, these are things you. Probably you didn't have to think about as even as recently as five or ten years ago.
2: That's right. There's a lot of things that we have to think about. And and quite honestly, our older customer, who's been a customer of us since the 70s, tells me when I see them out in my restaurants, they're not happy with some of the changes. And then, of course, the younger crowd says we love the changes. So, again, uh, being a concept that's been around for so long, and has been s- such a part of people's lives, it's, it's very difficult to try to please everybody. Um, we're trying to. Uh, but it's a tough deal. I even tell people, you know, I try to please everybody in my family and that doesn't work out for me on a regular <laughs> basis. So, you know, serving thousands of our, c- our customers every day, we're trying to,
0: um, yeah. I mean, you, you, you said that you're trying do you, do you feel like overall you're, you're succeeding? I mean, are the, the sales are indicating that you're,
2: yes, we actually had some strategic, uh, points that we wanted to hit or achieve and we've achieved most of them. Um, we've increased our, Night business, which we wanted to do, we've increased the sales of our other than our legacy item menus, and uh, we're still working on trying to sell the conies to the newer, younger generation. What uh, we we had issues where even at nighttime in our town and country location, we went and did our lighting study. We were using a two by four foot box fluorescent lights like we have here in the studio, and uh, our light. Our light consultant said, well, at nighttime in here, the brightness is that equal to of an emergency room in a hospital. And I said, well, that's not, that's not very very nice for an evening meal. And so we went in and put an LED lighting and, and dimmed down of our, of our lighting and didn't have so much brightness exposure. So it feels a lot more comfortable. We've got better furniture, et cetera. So we're, we feel like we've achieved some of the, those goals.
0: Well, Darren, I have to say that that brings me to the end of most of my questions unless there's some aspect of JCI that you were just dying to talk about.
2: Uh, no, I can talk about James Coney Allen forever. It is a, it's a very unique experience for me for the last 25 years. Um, there are times that if I'm wearing a shirt that's got the logo on and we all have to do it, we're all constantly on stage, whether you're walking around Houston or you just went into a grocery store to buy something, if somebody sees the James Coney Island logo in your shirt; they want to tell you about a story, from as far back as right after World War II to taking their grandparents there for their last meal, et cetera. We've actually have a lot of that. So, the uniqueness of doing that is it's a it's a mantle of leadership and responsibility that we bear and we take very seriously.
0: Do you have a favorite story that a customer's told you recently?
2: Uh, I, can't, I hear so many. I haven't. I can't think of one recently. We did a. We did recently a take a meal and took our coney man to a, to a a hospital for a last meal for an elderly person. And it was going to be their last meal to just the great stories that we always hear from our customers from times past. Uh, But uh, the younger generation are older. They all, they all love our conies. They love the steam buns and it's just a, it's just part of the Houston landscape. I can only think of one other restaurant that has been open in Houston longer than we have. And I believe it's Christie seafood right down the street. I think they're, they might have been open in 1919.
0: And, yeah, you know, I mean, even you know some of the legacy restaurants, Barbecue Inn. Uh, right. Uh, well,
2: they're youngsters. They're like yeah, the 50s. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're from the 50s. Uh, oh, the barbecue place on Shepard. Pizzatola's Barbecue.
2: Pizzatola's, There course. it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: but, you know, yeah, I mean, relative to, you know, even a restaurant like Tony's, 50 years old, right? Like, you've been... That, you basically
2: doubled that. That's, that's, the, that's the difficult thing is to try to have been around so long. It, I ask, try to think of any retail establishment open 95 years and tell me how relevant they are. And a lot of those that we talk about are single unit operations. We have 19 restaurants in the greater Houston area. Now, uh, when they opened up the second location, it took, them, it took them 45 years to open up the second location. They opened in 1923 in Houston and Walker, and they opened their second one in Town and Country in 1968. Wow, so yeah, took a while to expand. <laughs>
0: um, well, I'm I personally, I you know, as a native Houstonian, it makes me makes me happy to hear that the that the brand's in good shape right now because I, I can't imagine Houston without JCI.
2: Thank you, and we wouldn't imagine that being here. We're trying, we're just trying to stay relevant. We're really not trying to change. Uh, I, I who likes change? <laughs> we, we we like progress. Uh, and that's all we're trying to do is progress us and, uh, to make sure that we're still relevant in the marketplace.
0: All right. Well, Darren, I always wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready?
2: I think so. All
0: right. What is the first restaurant you ever worked at?
2: Longhorn barbecue on Gessner.
0: (laughs) What is the first band you ever saw in
2: concert? The Eagles Hotel California in 1977. Jepson Stadium, U of H campus. Nice.
0: What is your fast food guilty pleasure that isn't a JCI, Kony? Whataburger. <laughs> um, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present?
2: Earl Campbell and a real close second, Nolan Ryan.
0: And where's your favorite place in town to get a taco? Velvet Taco. Solid. Uh, Darren, why don't you just uh, tell us what the website is and, and how people can follow you guys on social
2: media. Yeah, you can go to www, oh, Of course, www, <laughs> Uh You can look at our website. We also got, we do a lot of catering business out of our own commercial kitchen, and we've got one of the largest food trucks in town. So think about that for your next event. It's a wonderful truck, and you'd enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me
0: on Twitter at Esandler, on Instagram at EricSandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.